have to tell you that the entity known as Lex has surpassed itself today. Uh, so I hope you're feeling in superlative mental faddle because you're certainly going to need it. Here is Lex's weekly word challenge. Oh, and it's a real doozy. You've got three quotes and no less than five, five thriller horror writers to match them up to. Uh, for that is the theme, of course, of today's show. Quote number one, nightmares exist outside of logic. And there's little fun to be had in explanations that are antithetical to the poetry of fear. <gasps> Who said that? Well, if you think it was H.P. Lovecraft, then your answer will be 1A. Second quote, we're all not quite as sane as we pretend to be. If you think it might have been Alfred Hitchcock, then type in the answer box 2B. And who said, fear isn't so difficult to understand? After all, weren't we all frightened as children? Well, if you think it was Robert Block, author, by the way, of Psycho, and winner of the Bram Stoker Award for horror writing, then you'll enter 3C. And speaking of Bram Stoker award-winning authors, poor old Robert Block <laughs> only won it once. But today's special guest has won it oodles of times. From New Zealand, <laughs> please welcome back the incredible Lee Murray. I always get goosebumps when Lee's on the show, in a good way. And I do also when our next guest manifests for us none other than... The entirely awesome Annie Samalee. So, dearly beloved, let's get on with the show. And yes, I will be coming back to those questions because I gave you a little glimpse of them. So I'll be showing the questions again before we cut to the answers. Meanwhile, here is submission number one. It's called Or Else She Dies. It is, of course, a thriller, and it's from Alex. Let me read you Alex's blurb. Harry Chance has five days to rescue his abducted daughter by returning £40 million of stolen gold, or her dismembered body will be delivered by courier. Mastermind behind the heist, Billy Ray, believes Chance stole it from under his nose. The cage fighter turned jewel thief was not involved. Uh, is that Harry? I guess that's Harry, yeah. It's not totally clear. Ray kidnaps 16-year-old Amanda and gives Chance a deadly ultimatum. Chance learns the location of the gold lies within a booby-trapped Himitsu Baku, a Japanese puzzle box. Five days to crack the box's secret code. I'm interested. Let me tell you about Alex. I've been a journalist and editor and formerly a musician, touring with Elton John and Rod Stewart. Wow, there was a book or two in that. I co-wrote a rock opera for the Edinburgh Festival that starred a young Pierce Brosnan. Wow. When it's up on, on YouTube, I'd watch it. Uh, as a journalist, I've written hundreds of articles and edited an international magazine. I've been published in the past and have been long-listed for the CWA Debut Dagger Award. Hmm. Uh, with one title and shortlisted for the Crime Thriller Award at a Hastings Literary Festival. What you need is a truly horrible reading in that case, in the best possible way, of course, and that comes from Jeff.
else she dies by alex read by jeff three men watched the girl they sat on wooden boxes around a makeshift table in a dusty farmhouse outbuilding slivers of sunlight penetrate along the stew stable through slatted windows their dusty beam illuminating the rusting machinery the sow and rotten straw and the warped door opposite on the table was a gun Aruga L.C.R. The men sat tight up close to the girl, touching her two either side and one behind. The one behind yanked the dark canvas hood from the girl's head and she gulped in air as though it was her final breath. She blinked away tears and tried to control herself. Look straight ahead, said the first man. If you look at us, we'll hurt you. We'll tell you once more, in case it wasn't crystal clear the first time, said the second man, my friend behind you has a knife. A very sharp knife. Can you feel it? She nodded. The third man stroked the nape of her neck with a cold, flat, eight-inch blade, then ran the tip down her spine until it reached the rope that bound her wrist together. Taking his time, he cut the bonds, and the girl rubbed the wood wheel on her skin with relief. The man behind us spoke. When we give you the word, you'll pick up that gun and shoot the man who comes in through that door. Do you understand? Asked the first man, running his blackened fingernail along her cheek, stroking the fine downy hair on her face. She nodded again. She would agree to anything to get away from these men. Don't hesitate, said the second man. If you do, we'll shoot him and then shoot you. By doing exactly as we say, you'll be set free. I don't think I can kill anyone, the girl said with a quiet whimper. You'd be surprised, said the third man. Sudden death concentrates the mind. I've never fired a gun, said the first man. He sighed. We've shown you, haven't we? You pick it up, point and pull the trigger. It has a polymer frame, weighs around 14 ounces, There'll be a little recall, but not too much. A monkey couldn't risk from this range. Why me? The first man leaned in so his chapped lips touched her earlobe. That's the first sensible question you've asked, darling. It's called irony, my love, said the second man. Our boss has an unusual sense of humour. He likes to be what he calls ironic. Please me why. There's a reason why it has to be you, all right? No one steals 40 million from the big man and gets away with it, said the first, his voice hardening. Who is? the girl began. That's enough with the questions, the second man said with a snarl. They lapsed into silence, all staring at the door, listening out for the sound of footsteps. The girl could smell the men. Sweat and stale body odour, mixed with the distinctive stench of adrenaline fueled fear, seemed to ooze from them, creating a kind of pungent inversion layer. The stink blended with the faint odour of long-dead cattle, dung and rodents. For a long time, they remained silent. The girl listened to the faint ticking of three wristwatches as they merged into a syncopated rhythm. She had never been so frightened in her life. A warm, damp feeling that spread between her thighs. She tried to clean her battle, but failed. Fucking hell, whined the second man. She's pissed herself. 
He spat on the floor and the girl watched the goblet lay near a trickle of urine. She's scared, the first man said. Aren't you, darling? Not long to wait now and it'll be all over. The girl fought hard against the impulse to weep. Could she re-believe these men who had kept her prisoner for so long? What was so special about whoever was going to walk through that door? When it came to it, could she really shoot someone in cold blood? A complete stranger? Was it some kind of test? Would they actually set her free? If they thought she could recognise them, was this likely? Indeed, was it likely? We'll find out what our panel think in a moment. And the genius room, of course, most important. Um, but I think I actually owe it to you, um, because we are mere humans, especially compared to the uh, the entity that is Lex, which could easily be AI, I think, in which case I want to know what Lex stands for. Um, I think I just need to show you these these three quotes again. You've got three quotes, you've got five writers there, and you've got to match them up. And your answer will look something like 1A, 2B, 3C. That is not the answer, of course, but... It's maybe close for three quotes. One, two, and three, and you've got to pick three authors. Now, the, the votes are coming in right now. And, of course, there is an NFT, <laughs> which I define in my own way. There is an NFT as a prize, um, so keep thinking about that. Let's see. I'll tell you what. Let's see what our special guest, Lee, thinks. What was your first reaction to that, Lee? I really liked that. Um, I, th- I thought... The title was good. It sounds like something that Lee Child would write. I think it Alex's does, pen name yeah. is fantastic. Alex Steele. It just yeah. sounds like just sounds like a thriller writer. Um, and the premise is wonderful. Like the setup, we're right straight into the action. My my issue, um, my only real issue is is your point of view, um, Alex. Your you know, you've, we've got this problem where you, this woman, this girl, and it's her point of view, and she's calling herself the girl, um, is not allowed to look at anyone. And yet she sees the chap lips. She knows about the black and fingernail. Um, and I think that we need a bit of closer point of view for the for the fear. I, the details are fantastic. I love the trickle of urine and the goblet of spit and um, you know, but I just think if you can get closer to the girl's point of view, you'll really get the, you'll really yeah. get the fear. Um, we, yeah. We're not getting the fear because, we, you know, it's just too, too distant from her point of view. So that yeah. would be my, um, that would be my, my main comment. I think you fixed that and you've got a winner there. It looks wonderful. Wow. Wow. Uh, coming from Lee, I mean, that is, is praise indeed, actually. Uh, let's just um, see what's going on in the genius room. Uh, Pamela Joe, yeah, this uh, I did. I picked up on this too, actually, PJ. I like the puzzle box thing, says Pamela Joe. Could use some huddle time to unwind the blurb, but commercial. I think it's commercial too. Blurb a bit long, good concept, says Hannah. Um, not sure the mutilated corpse is necessary, says Pamela Joe. Oh, I don't know. Lee might disagree with that. What does touching it mean, says L.A. Thomas. Um, great first page, says um, RAI bot Lex. Um, great first page. Just enough fantastic detail. Absolutely chilling first line. Bravo. Uh, RG says the Omni point of view is distancing, though this might be deliberate. Don't know. Um, flanking. 
Head hopping, says Ali Thomas. Can't get a feel for her age. I think that's pretty much what Lee was saying too. Is this British or American? It's like a jumble of both. I think it's definitely British, actually. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's a bit of transatlantic stuff seeping in there. Hannah says, girl could smell the men is good, but feels inserted to include another sense rather than organically happening. I know what you mean. And Matt says, we're launched into a high-intensity scene, but we start wandering around. And Glenn says, probably not going to shoot her father, methinks. Mm, I wonder if it is. That would be an interesting twist, wasn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it? Um, what do you think, Annie? Well, I um, I agree with what Lee was saying about point of view. So um, to me, it felt a little bit distant because it was something that at the same time, the yeah. writing was like very visceral and very like it was all very intense. But at the same time, since we weren't in anyone's head, hmm. I was struggling just that just a little bit to connect. Um I don't know if I'm the only one who um, thinks this, but I think that, see the point where she says, or when she thinks that she would do anything to get away with those, um, to get away from those men. I thought that would have been a good place to um, end the prologue because I think yeah. that everything that comes before that just sets up what's going to happen. And afterwards, it just feels like we're waiting for right. it to happen. And yeah. they give away too much. See, once they mention the forty million, it makes you think, "Oh, it's her dad." Yeah. So ah, I well, think you're, it, you can make it yeah. You're ahead of me on that, actually. It could be, couldn't it? Actually, it could well be. Mm. In which case, the, the book's over fairly quickly. I thought. Um, I don't know if I totally believe the the goons. They say there's a little bit too much irony going on there. I think that for me that works against the 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 sense of fear and dread. But I really do like the the twist because it starts off in a fairly conventional kidnap sort of scenario. But I think the twist is is great actually. You know you're going to have to shoot the next person who, who comes in the room. I like that a lot. Um, I'd like to know if it's a series. It sounds like it could be the beginning of a series. Is genre writing? I'm nothing wrong with that. Genre writing is fine. That's what um, is the bread and butter of the publishing business. But let me just ask you about this this thing. Paolo Joe, Paolo PJ picked up in the Genius Room that I'm quite keen on actually, and I would like, personally I like to see reflected in the title because I think the title is a little bit on the prosaic side, which is this Japanese box. I've never heard of that before, a Japanese puzzle box. So it, is that a thing? Don't know. <laughs> uh, All right. No, I guess is it something a little bit like a Clive Barker hell? Yes, that's what I was thinking of. I, exactly. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then it then it, it then it lends itself a little bit more to the whole Dan Brown thing, doesn't it? With the with the puzzle box thing. Yeah, so it does. Maybe that it was does. Alex was trying to move away from that that notion, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've we've all voted, I think. Let's have a look at the numbers. Oh, that's a very good start, Alex. Great name, Alex. Still, sixty-seven. That's something to beat, isn't it? Actually, doing really really good start. You loved the title, actually, Annie, didn't you? So you wouldn't want to change yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't change that. I think the title's great. Okay, that's fantastic. I'm, I, you know what I'm going to do out of the goodness of my heart, because I think it's such a tough qu quiz today, this this uh, this week. I'm going to show you those quotes one more time. Um, and I'm just going to leave it on screen for two or three more seconds. So hard, I think. You think you've got to be a, an AI bot yourself. To, to get the answers to that. Really difficult, just from uh, just a small number of words, working out who the author is, what their voice is, what their style is, but apparently it can be done. I don't know if anyone's got the right answer yet. We'll find out in a moment. Let me 
here we are. Submission number two. What a good start to the show. Thank you, Alex. This is from Darren. Hello, Darren. That's a name that's not unfamiliar to, to this show. Very good to have you back, Darren. A thriller is called Dutch Courage. This is the blurb. Dutch was once the most expensive professional assassin in America. Ruthless and efficient, with a 100% success rate, guided by his boss, Clive. Dutch just couldn't miss. Until the day he did miss. With his confidence ruined, oh dear, it's a hitman with anxiety problems, he spiralled into depression and hit the bottle. Clive replaces Dutch with a sadistic, even more sadistic possibly, and unhinged killer by the name of Dennis. Dutch becomes paranoid that Dennis is hunting him, wanting his position as top dog, but can he sort himself out in time to fight back? Dutch Courage, says Darren. Dutch Courage is my first novel, completed just over 100,000 words. The norm for a debut, I'm led to believe. I don't think there is a norm for a debut, actually. Generally speaking, you know, it depends on the genre, actually. But generally speaking, novels are getting a bit shorter. Um, but I, I, th- I think whoever told you, you know, 100,000 words for your first novel is, is uh, oversimplifying, shall we say. Um, I plan for it to hopefully be the start of a series. Very good. That's always of interest to publishers. A contract killer with a heart who only accepts a job if it meets his strict code of practice. I think that's a good idea, but hasn't it been done before? Genius Room will know about that. Dutch battles depression and alcoholism to rid the world of scum for a price. Uh, this is extended blurb. It's not about you at all. <laughs> You've got more blurb in here than that you've got a right to. Uh, Myself, I'm a small business owner and inventor compelled to create whatever comes to mind. Okay, so you need a tough, gritty, no-nonsense reading, which I think means call for Martin. Dutch Courage by Darren Read by Martin One Dutch found the van exactly where Clive said it would be in the mission brief. Level 14, slot 9. It looked convincing enough, plain white with the name and logo of some electrical repair company on both sides. Dutch read in the brief that Clive had researched which company had the contract for general repairs and had the logo copied perfectly. The key had been placed on top of the driver's side tyre. Dutch glanced at the security cameras scattered around the place and resisted the urge to cover his face. The brief said any surveillance would be disabled before he arrived. Clive could hack any system he wanted. It was all part of the service he provided. A high-rise parking lot wouldn't have been a problem. Dutch unlocked the van, got in and started her up. He looked over his shoulder into the back and saw the ladder, tool bag, gasoline and plastic explosives. A cell phone with a wire fixed to it was taped to the explosives. Dutch smiled and slowly pulled away. Leaving his prints all over the vehicle felt unprofessional, but he put it to the back of his thought process. His brief said the evidence would be destroyed on completion of the mission. He pulled out into the street and headed for the maximum security Sousa Baranowski Correctional Facility, Massachusetts. He arrived at 9.10am. The brief said the inmates had breakfast at 8 and morning exercise followed at 9. 
The main population normally took a five-minute walk around the yard, smoked a cigarette or two, and headed back inside straight after. The cold winter mornings left no desire for dwellers. The timing of the details had to be perfect. Dutch parked up by a street lamp outside the perimeter fence on the east side. He walked to the back and opened the tool bag, took out a white boiler suit and gloves and put it all on. He slid out the ladder and angled it up against the street lamp. The height of the ladder reached the upper foot rungs perfectly. He slung the tool bag over his shoulder and ascended. The final foot rungs of the street lamp brought Dutch to the ideal height to rest the tool bag on the upper base of the lamp. A smooth, flat surface with a slight angle of vision over the wall of the prison and into the exercise yard. Dutch could see the final few inmates were heading back inside. He concentrated on the wind direction as he took out and assembled the sniper rifle. It was a Barrett M82, American made, ruthless in precision. Clive advised that the shot distance would be just over a thousand yards with a slight downward trajectory and minimal wind speed once the target had reached the far corner of the yard. That was where a small pocket of sunshine would hit the area at 9.25am. The target had been observed displaying a liking for this particular spot. Dutch had been in the mountains practicing this angle and range for the last three days with an identical weapon. With the rifle set up and covered over the, with the empty tool bag, Dutch used a screwdriver to open the casing of the street lamp and fiddle around with a bunch of wires inside. He made it look like he knew what he was doing whilst keeping an eye on activities below. He had to look convincing in case anyone glanced up at what the hell he was doing up there. He didn't have long to wait. The target emerged from a separate door. Dutch recognised him from the photo in his brief, tall and gangly with a shaved head. He was alone as two guards led him into the yard, sectioned off from the main population. Dutch had learned he was a heavily protected key witness in an upcoming trial just weeks away. His testimony was considered too damaging to ever be heard in a courtroom. Important people would be compromised. Several attempts to get at the witness from inside had failed. Someone was running out of time to shut the guy's mouth. Thank you very much, uh, Martin. Great reading. I always, I always enjoy Martin's readings a lot. Don't get a huge number of readings from Martin, but when they come in, they're good. Um, so just looking at the genius room here reactions general reaction is that dutch courage is a nice title as matt says if it's a series with the character dutch i, I think that's right actually uh pama says dutch courage is a bit arch maybe but i think it's, it's gonna work conman uh, depressed and hitting the bottle being done many times says hannah but no matter if it's great uh, rg says solid blurb needs tiny up a bit though uh does the job Dennis doesn't strike me as a credible hit, hitman name, though. I want, yeah, it is it's slightly comedy, isn't it? A uh, little bit dexterish, says LA, LA Thomas. That's it, that's right, it is, isn't it? Hitman of the heart, really. Uh, and Johnny says, are you an assassin with a crisis of confidence? Time to retire and take up golf. And RG says, Lex, have some toast don't understand that but i'm sure it means something to someone um and sarah says there's a cold clinical feel to this is that a good thing or a bad thing maybe uh, maybe not we'll find out and pamela joe first paragraph needs tying telltale signs of details there for the writer instead of the reader 
all we need is he picked up the van and martin of course on narrator says sparse fluent and formic good setup if familiar okay so generally positive reactions there i wonder what annie thinks um i i like this i think the writing's um i think the writing's quite good it was easy to follow the one thing that i was thinking well um while we were reading it especially when we got to the second half is that the whole um scene of going to get the van picking that up i don't know if we actually need that because mm. we didn't really learn anything about him like that didn't really show us anything important about him as a character before he got to the prison and i found that more interesting than what came before that yeah, so that's yeah. that's something that i i was thinking um what else well yeah i think um what hannah mentioned as well it's not as if it's it's not a brand new concept the one thing that i was wondering though is um i think the blurb if it told us why he missed so like because it feels a little bit Mm. um random so like yeah. he misses but I, I feel like we need to know why so what is it behind just missing a shot that makes him spiral out i think yes yeah i think that's right maybe he has a little crisis of confidence because i mean yeah, maybe i'm a bit old-fashioned but i do find it quite hard to invest my uh, my mind body and soul in a in a cold-blooded hitman i i, I don't know so i mean around these days aren't they what did you think lee yeah, I, I I actually agree with everything that Annie said. Um, I I have I think there's too much detail in here. Um, it's just as everyone else has said. I, I like I don't mind the van thing. I mean I don't mind that the van is there and then we know it's a standard hit. You know here's the here's the traditional you know electrical van and here's the cover and but um, just it's just so much detail and. Is it an electrical van? Are we? Are we into? I, I didn't know him. were particularly environmentally yeah. conscious. Maybe they are. No, <laughs> but anyway, just it just felt um, too much detail there. That that I t I do know that that readers of this stuff love to know what the weapon is. You know that's really important, and, and you you need to specify that. But some of the other detail not necessary. I just I think there was a lot of the brief said and it got to the point where it was like one time at band camp you know i heard it so many times that it was like the brief said this and the brief said this do we need yeah. that um yeah. we just need to know that he has confidence in the brief and that um and that he he follows it and the other thing i thought was if this is a this is a hitman with a conscience wouldn't you want to know then I mean, the last time I killed someone, I didn't really. I just got the. I just got the information, and I just news did the flash, news, You know, news like, flash. So, so exactly. Do you? Does he need to know about the victim? Because this is supposedly a hitman with a conscience about the people he's killing. So at least I got that impression from the blurb. So why don't we know? Why do we know nothing about the victim? It's just this guy who sits and who likes this corner of the prison. I don't. I it didn't quite didn't quite gel for me. That said, okay. this, everyone loves a hitman story. Everyone loves, yeah, you know, they do, the, they do. it's it's very. Um, so I think I think there's merit in pursuing this, um, Darren. One of the things I think is you've got too many words, and I think it'll be easy to trim out 
your 20,000. I think this needs to be 80,000 words, which is mm. kind of ballpark for thriller. If you're wanting to know, um, check out the awards list. So, you know, International Good Thriller idea. Awards, see what their what their word counts are for novellas and, you know, and those kinds of things and, and the standard kind of um word counts that that's usually a good yes. rule of thumb for a first time writer i would say you're unlucky to get a hundred thousand over the line so if you could pitch it around eighty thousand or eighty five thousand you're probably in the right ballpark so right. there's space pretty, to remove some of that detail hmm. yeah that's um, and it, yeah filtering will do it you could probably take and oh look for the word up i think if you remove the word up there will probably be at least 400 of those in your manuscript so search on that take those out there's there's 400 words there just right there there you go perfect what great advice actually i, I do need to uh, just confirm or clarify or in, in other ways elucidate something actually with you, with you lee you said the last time i killed someone now that there are various yeah. definitions of that i just it got might, the brief <laughs> <laughs> it might be in your book <laughs> it might be a quote from uh, something we've just heard, or it might be in real life. Would you like to tell us what's what? No, I don't. I, I can't because to. you know the to. brief. Right. The, you have to destroy the brief afterwards. But normally, it Fair doesn't enough. tell me what research the person has done ahead of time. It just right. tells me, you know, who the victim okay. is. All right. Okay. That adds absolutely more confusion to everything. Let's look at the numbers. Pretty good. Darren actually got a 62 there. Pretty good. You should be pleased with that. And you've got some excellent advice from Lee. What's not to like? In fact, I think, I tell you what, let's have one more submission, then let's have a little chat with Lee, shall we? Yeah? Here we go. Drone Kings. In capital letters, no less. Drone Kings. Drone Kings. I like that, actually. I like that. I think it's an interesting title. It's from CE. CE Albanese. Thriller, in parenthesis, terrorism slash military. This is the blurb. Afghanistan, 2001. It said 2001. 2001. A targeted drone strike leaves behind a pair of young survivors, bruised and battered. They desire revenge. And in Afghanistan, a debt of blood can only be repaid in blood. Twenty years later, the survivors have a plan. They have help. And three high-profile American targets. But to succeed, they must go through the US Secret Service and Stonewall, the CIA's most successful and most lethal operative. Win or lose, no one will come out of this unscathed. You've got a QR code there too, so you can go to CE's website. I shall, while you're doing that, I shall tell you all about CE. Uh, CE Albanese is a former US Secret Service special agent with over 22 years of law enforcement experience. So you know what you're writing about. During assignments in the Newark, New Jersey and New York City field offices, he investigated complex financial crimes and conducted protective advances for some of the world's most influential leaders. In 2011, he transferred to Washington, D.C. to serve on then-Vice President Joe Biden's 
protective detail. This is all fantastic experience, actually. He's a graduate of Rutgers University and lives in Northern Virginia with his wife, a special agent for the US Secret Service, and their two children. We don't know if the two children also are spy kids, but they might be, I suspect, coming from that, that particular stable. What an interesting background. I'm so looking forward to seeing what this is like, and I'm particularly forward, looking forward to this reading from Emily. Drone Kings by C.E. Read by Emily Prologue September 18th, 2001 Kandahar, Afghanistan Nazir died quickly, his last words a blood-filled gurgle. Ahmed glanced at the empty shell casing on the floor and then at the dead man's face, his eyes drawn to the trickle of blood seeping from the hole in the middle of Nazir's forehead. The bright red colour illuminated by the shadeless lamp in the corner of the room, brought back memories of the poppy fields where he and Nazir played together as children. But like their friendship, those days were long gone. Things changed. They changed. Their differences had grown wider with each passing day, and tonight, a decade-long falling out, had come to a violent end. The wall clock chimed. Ahmed stared at it, then took a deep breath and tucked the small black revolver into his waistband. He wasn't sorry. He'd done what he had to do to survive. If he hadn't, he would be the one on the floor. He turned to the window. The recent autumn rains made it possible to quickly dig a shallow grave in the soft dirt from the walled garden out back. But should he? No. It was better to leave the body where it fell. In this city, and in particular this neighbourhood, The Taliban had eyes and ears in every window and on every corner. Even here, in Nazir's home, someone would see, and they would tell. And when Mullah Muhammad Omar discovered what had happened to his only nephew, Ahmed shuddered at the thought. The Taliban leader's anger was legendary, and his vengeance would be swift and ruthless. The second Ahmed had pulled the trigger, he'd known his life was over. It didn't matter who was at fault or how senior his position was on the Koreta Shura, the Taliban Council of Elders and Rulers of the Islamic State of Afghanistan. And it didn't matter how many battles he'd fought alongside Mullah Omar against the Northern Alliance. Killing Nazir had sealed his fate. In Afghanistan, a debt of blood can only be repaid in blood. Ahmed heard the saying many times growing up. He even muttered it himself once or twice and he knew there were words by which Mullam Omar lived and breathed. If Ahmed desired to see another day, he needed to gather his family and flee the country. Ahmed exited Nazir's house the same way he came, through the front door. As he hurried to his truck, he kept to the shadows to hide his movements from prying eyes. He drove north through the night, stopping only when he arrived at a mud-brick house on the outskirts of Tangi Calais a quiet village to the east of Kabul. Ahmed's wife and three children waited inside. He ushered them into the living room and spoke. If we don't leave now, we'll all be dead by the morning. Minutes later they piled into Ahmed's truck and headed east towards the foothills of the Spingar mountain range, a natural frontier between Afghanistan and Pakistan. From the highest mountain summit they saw the bright lights of the destination, the Torkham border crossing. Ahmed pulled to the side of the road. He knew the border was closed, sealed by the Pakistani government in response to the looming American invasion. 
but he had a plan to get his family safely through to the other side. He grabbed the satellite phone he kept in the glove compartment and, disregarding the risks, powered it on. Four miles above the Torquem border crossing flew MQ-1 Predator Drone number 3034. It circled through the moonless night sky in wide lazy arcs, the video camera, an FLIR device secured to the nose cone, scouring the ground below for targets of opportunity. The flight crew, pilot Captain Brian Leahy and sensor operator Lieutenant Joseph Reynolds sat 7,000 miles away, inside the sub-basement of a nondescript building in North Virginia. They were part of the US Air Force's fledgling drone programme and were on loan to the CIA's Special Activities Division, the spy agency's ultra-secretive, covert paramilitary operations unit. Samuel Pickhart, a retired Marine Corps colonel and the venerable head of SAD, stood in the back of the room, a red telephone pressed tightly against his ear. It's not getting a good reading from Emily. Thank you very much. First of two today, actually. So something to look forward to. And let's see what the GDI is saying. Um, I think they like it. Um, I like this title. I like this title from Hannah RG. Um, uh, gives me a fantasy vibe, says I. Um, maybe it's the word kings. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and Lex is extremely busy. Our, our questionable AI creature is just so busy. I can't begin to tell you. You'll have to, to read a separate transcript, actually. Um, topical and relevant. Uh, L.A. Thomas sounds like touchstone. He does, actually, yes. He's got a, got a slight... Um, um, touchdown of vibe, isn't it? Uh, blurb says both too much and too little somehow, says RG. Uh, Pamela Joe, isn't this interesting? Listen, listen to this. Pamela Joe says, live from the genius room, topical and commercial blurb. I do think the new terrorism is going to be against first world countries by those bearing blunt of climate change. Yeah, and the. Um, the um, uh, entry from uh, Pamela I was looking for, actually, was there were too many drone strikes early in the war that killed wedding parties. My wedding, says Pamela Joe, was in Karachi. I heard AK-47s going off everywhere. That's, that's the beauty of, of pop-ups. You just, you just have such a broad range of experience, all, all focused here. What extraordinary experience that must have been. Great opening line, says Matt. Avenue Works, uh, Twist, Good Confident Writing, says Hannah um, RG. Confident Writing, I would read on beyond the 700 words. Emily, our narrator, I found this easy and fluid to read. Great writing, I definitely read on. So, generally, pretty good reaction there. Um, and Lex says, uh, you'll have, quoting me, you'll have to read a separate transcript, and he says it's called the Lex Files. Of course it is. Why would it not be? So... I'm not sure what to think of this. In um, I, I don't know if we've got a protagonist, to be honest. I don't know if a protagonist is emerging here or not. It's not, not at all clear. And this whole question of drone strikes, I think, bears some exploration. What do you think, Lee? Um, I, I, there was just a little bit of a disconnect between the um, blurb and the actual beginning of the story. So I thought there were two people um, who emerged battered and bruised, and so I'm assuming these two men, these two uh, were working together. So I don't know quite. I got a little bit confused. But anyway, um, so we get, is it Ahmad kills Nadir, his friend? Um, yes. And 
Um, I love that setup. That's just that this we, we're right into the blood, you know. Love that. Um, but um, and then, but he's really only postponed his death because of this whole notion of revenge. So it seems to me the whole the whole theme of the book is hinged on revenge and I would have liked to have known a little bit more about that whole blood mm. feud idea so you know they're kind of honour bound from the sounds of it to, to go into it I absolutely think C.E. is the right person to write this oh, yeah. oh my goodness what a what a what a blurb you know what a background and it, it reminds me a little bit of Alma Katsu who's also a CIA agent at one time and she's written Red Widow, which is a which is this kind of this same kind of novel, and there is just so much demand for these really you know um, you know fact based type type novels, you know going behind the scenes and really giving us some insight into what kind of happens. Um, Mm. You know, I just I I love this. I think this is really exciting. I think there still needs to be some. closer point of view really people this is i think probably my biggest point today would be let's get in the head of the character and understand what's driving them it's character driven stories Mm. so the the detail and the technology and the setup is fantastic but we need to be in the head of somebody um to to carry the stories so the writing is sound um just just get us in just get us in the protagonist's head so that we can so that we can be carried along by the character. I think yeah. that's really what we need here. Yeah. But otherwise, fantastic. Very good. For me, the um, the war room actually was would, would have been a better place to start. I, I was very interested in that. What actually goes on there? I hear I hear drone operators actually have PTSD as, as the same way actually as uh, people actually uh, fighting face to face. And I, I'd like to know more about that. Actually, it's an interesting but disturbing area, I think. And I, for my money, I would I would just want more explored there. It started to come alive for me there but even so i don't really know who the protagonist is or um particularly you know where my emotions should lie what did you think annie um yes so on the um on the whole protagonist thing that's what i was wondering as well especially with the blurb because it's not entirely clear if the blurb is going to be following the antagonists of the story or if, mm. that, if they're the main characters. But it made me think if this is someone with a background, like with his background, um, what's the point of view going to be when writing a story like this? So I can't imagine the people who are looking for revenge to be the like the main characters. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but... I, I thought, I thought the writing was really good. The only thing that I was wondering is it just, to me personally, didn't really feel very current. Like, um, I don't know if this was something that, maybe it's just a personal thing. I don't know if I'd pick up something about, about this. Hmm. Um, but maybe, I mean, there, there has to, it's still, I'm sure it's still um, quite commercial. I think it is. Um, it's, going, it's going for the solid mm-hmm. Tom Clancy market and there hasn't been much diminution of that. Um, but you know, it is it is contemporary with this. I think there's a disturbing edge to it, and I would like that addressed straight on. Mm-hmm. You know, we are talking about remote mm-hmm. control killing here, and not too not too far in the future. Actually, it'll be completely. It will be AI. Actually, you won't even need humans. Um, is that a good thing? Is the bad thing? I'd, I'd like I'd like to know more about the people who who work in these anonymous bunkers. Maybe that will develop uh, further. We've only seen. Uh, 700 words um let's have a look in the the genius room and see 
what they are saying. Um, Martin says that's what they they call a shotgun wedding, of course, referring to PJ's comment. Um, Lee's comments. uh, You've been reviewed, Lee. Uh, Pamela Jones reviewed you. (laughs) And she she says Lee's comments are surgical, invaluable. Very nice indeed. Jan said, felt the same. Wanted to connect with the character as with the previous entry. Um, Agree on War Room, says Pamela Joe. And we got some spam bots apparently on YouTube. You just go away. Go and watch cat videos or something. You know, we're educated getting the masses here guys just just bugger off and watch something else will you hannah says i love the title but i don't think if it's the story it does sound sff and matt says matt, a very uh, distinguished journalist of course who, who often comes on the show i spent a week with the folks who work in the drone rooms and that's all he's saying but we would like to know more about that let's look at the numbers you got a 70 <gasps> ce that makes you so far the, the show winner and that's an incredibly good score um, could go up or down as people vote um, of course in the, in the uh, generism which they are entitled to do I want to see what's going on in the ever busy world of Lee Murray down there in New Zealand every in everyone's hearts and minds all the time I, I just googled you I just uh, looked you up on um, actually let, yeah let's get one thing really really clear and straight because I, I this confused me a lot okay this poor old robert block right author of psycho he's only got one bram stoker award <laughs> now, each time i introduce you you very quietly and very nicely correct me saying no peter is not two it's actually three and i say okay and next time uh, winner of three bram says oh, peter peter can't no, get four, it right it's four. four yeah so oh it's four is it okay it's four wow yes and i remember last time you did show us actually didn't you <laughs> I yeah. think so. Yeah. Have you got it? Have you got it there again? Because I'd love to see it. Is, is it with you or is it in another room? If it's not, don't bother. No, it's here. It's here. Say, Let's on. have a look. Go on. <laughs> this is worth waiting for, actually. Oh, he's so sweet. It looks a little bit like a cuckoo clock. But it was sort of like a, a grafted um, by uh, Mr. Geiger or something. They're pretty heavy, actually. What are they made out oh, of? Oh, where's my camera? Camera. Oh, look at uh, that. Something oh, look at like that. rock. Oh, God. So, um, and they had these little windows. Oh, I don't know if I can do this, but they had yeah, these little on. windows. There's something front come out and stab you. You can actually see what you've oh. what you've won. So oh, this so one cool. is for um, a short fiction. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm still a long yeah. way to go because Stephen King has uh, 12 of them. So oh, you're 12. Oh, my God. You've been the author of Psycho and he's not writing anything more. So I think I think, you, I think there's a few <laughs> laurels you can rest on. Let's see what else is going on. So in, in my ever uh, my ceaseless Internet, uh, internet search to uh, to track down the, the world of Lee Murray. This is something else I've come up with. That's new. I haven't I haven't come across that before. What's all this about? Oh, look, this is just a little tiny tap book which was put together by um, my friends at Brainjar Press in Australia and really it's come out of it came out of a, a, a workshop that I do for colleagues and friends um, oh, yeah? about just sort of how to you know, strategies for getting your career sort of on track and where you want to go and what your what success looks like for you. So it's a teeny, teeny little chat book. It's What's lots a good of, it idea. was, you know, really fun. And yeah, so um, that came out just recently from from my Australian friends. So it looks it's quite the kind thin. of thing that. 
How, it's how many teeny. Pages? It's really it's teeny. teeny. Oh no! Okay. It's, yeah, it's a teeny. It's a, actually a sort of an exercise, if you like, and how to get hmm. yourself ready for next year or whatever. So I don't even know how many pages. It's not very long. Only yeah. about thirty pages, so it's oh, not it's a big thing. Easy so. to read. Very it's easy to read. Just a little. Uh, yep. So yep. writers are sort of infamous for not really setting goals. So you are an epitome of a successful goal-setting writer, aren't you? Really. Well, yeah, I try to revise my goals, you know, as I go along. It's been really helpful, actually, and it mm. seems to have worked so far. And I mean, yes. you know, everybody's, everybody's, you know, vision of success is something different, isn't it? Yeah. You know, right, um, next, next goal on your list will be the uh, 13th Bram Stoker Award. Take that, Stephen King. Um, so, <laughs> but what, I mean, it, OK, a serious question. So, so many, so many writers, especially at the beginning of their, their writing journey feel like everything's out of control really they don't control much when they control the words they write but beyond that i mean getting an agent getting published getting in the charts it all seems you know it's it's kind of a disempowering process so how how can you set goals if you're at that stage in your in your career well that's really an interesting way to look at it i i think i started out with my first goal was my first goal and my first word because i often use a word is was wanderlust and the idea was just to work just try as many things as i could work in different genres try different short stories just just learn as much as i could go to conferences so that was kind of like really valuable when you're starting out so that was kind of my you know, like learn heaps. That was like try heaps. Just see what happens, and and then see where that goes. And so, when at the beginning, you're really just trying to soak up everything. So really, if you get something placed, that's exciting. Yes. You know, so it's just it's attempting certain things. So sometimes yeah. your goal might be as simple as I'm going to I'm going to actually submit something. You know, yeah. that could be. Uh, your first goal might be I'm going to be brave enough I'm going to get something ready and I'm going to submit it and you know so so they change according to your um, according yes. to your place in your career so hmm. uh, yeah how yeah. often um, final question yeah because otherwise you're going to read us the whole book basically and that wouldn't be fair because we actually would like people to buy it please it's, it's well worth uh, acquiring but how many times a year should you sit down and, and you know just take stock of things and, and say I right. usually do it every year I do, do it you? every year with a friend um, yeah I um, I sit down at the beginning of the year and the two of us work through our goals for the year what are we going to do but we but I also you know goals don't work like that you have to actually keep assessing them so I tend to use a word um, and that really works for me is to you know does this fulfill my word for the year is this project something I need to do because it's going mm. to get me closer to what my goal is for the year and I usually try and encapsulate that with a word I love that idea so, that's, um, that's so a radical way of doing it yeah, one of my other friends says you should do, you should assign every every task that comes across your desk, uh, you know, a one to one to ten, but you may not add, may not use the seven. So either it falls into one to six, or it falls into eight to ten. In which case you do it. So so there are lots of different tricks. That's not in the book, but um, I just use my tricks. So, um, but you know, if it works, it, it it's been very successful for me so far. As, so if it works say, for you, it's going to work for everyone. It's brilliant. That's, that's solid gold advice. As I think Matt has just said in the in the genius room, says Leah's brilliant. Every time she's on, it's gold. And uh, Pamela oh, Jo says, of your, of your many trophies, the perfect murder weapon. 
<laughs> yes, they really are. No, the Julius Vogel ones are better. That I haven't. Oh, I'd have to go somewhere else. But next time I'll bring you one of those, and they look like one of those Hellraiser puzzle boxes, but sort of on an angle, like the diamond. We want to see. We got to see that. Yes, we we insist oh. on that next time. Well, I might get yeah, next time. All right, we'll do it. Here we go. Submission number four. Wally goes off and gets another murderous looking award it's like great actually the nicest uh, writing prize i've ever seen uh number four comes from thomas hello thomas are you with us at the moment i hope you are on youtube because that's give, give us a, a friendly wave and this is a literary thriller mm. and it's called holy well that's right it's not holy well it's holy well and this is Thomas's blurb. A catastrophic change in climate has seen the population of Britain moved into safety camps above the waterline. In the week before Christmas, Sergeant Peter Shaw must find and kill two escapees in order to keep a roof over his family's heads. As he follows their trail, he becomes embroiled in an ancient conflict forcing upon him a decision on which the fate of all mankind will rest. Holywell asks a question for our times. What are the limits of obedience and authority in a system going mad? I'd like the answer to that. Uh, and no doubt we'll find out when we read your, your book, um, Thomas. Um, I'm going to tell everybody about you. Another amazing biography, actually. I mean, this is the thing about pop-ups. You just, you just meet, you know, uh, quotes. So many interesting people. Uh, I'm a former journalist who wrote regular opinion comments on politics and finance for a UK broadsheet in my 20s. Since leaving journalism, I've written cover stories for the Catholic Herald and edited an anthology on infrastructure policy with a forward by the Vice President of Nigeria. In my non-writing life, I run one of the UK's largest international aid programmes. I also trade cashew nuts. Cashew nuts, that's, isn't that brilliant? I'm married with two children, the youngest of whom has cerebral palsy, a theme dealt with from a parent's standpoint in this book. In my early life, I played premiership rugby in Nigeria I've never met anyone who's done that. Uh, lived, in, listen to this, lived in a hermitage up a Greek mountain. There's <laughs> wow. no end to your adventures. Walked from Canterbury to Rome. I'm going to read that again because that's so prosaic. I just read that in such a prosaic way. Walked from Canterbury to Rome and, here we go again, traded cashew nuts in Benin. Traded cashew nuts in Benin. But now... I spend my weekends at soft play. What's soft play? I don't know what that is. Is it, is it like airsoft or something? Or is it, if I'm missing something there, I may be. Um, but what I'm not going to miss is this fabulous reading for you from Mel. Holy Well, written by Thomas, read by Mel. The baby was dead. She died not as an adult does, folding softly into perpetual childhood at the gates of purgatory. She continued to scream, long after the power of sound had left her, and when she stopped, it was abruptly, as though the batteries had fallen out. She died under an arc lamp, horizontal to a video camera. A parting had been made in the grey rag she wore so that her distended, pale belly 
continued to express itself once the face failed. She died on the southern fringe of the valleys to the sound of a portable electricity generator, which the film crew would pack up and take with them, and again in the boardroom to the sound of air gently wheezing from leather as bored white bottoms ground impatiently into tan leather chairs. Good, said the editor. Good for you, Dan? Dan nodded. Good for him. Breeze block. Barren paragraphs swum before the eyes of the Prime Minister. These people could not write. It made the job impossible. He'd asked the scientists for a brief on the practical matter of radiation in space. Instead, he had received several pages of incomprehensible algebra wedged into place by immense, illiterate paragraphs, empty wombs each. He tried one again. No good. None of the words meant anything. If only he could get some sleep. Sighing, he swapped the paper in his left hand for a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon. He loosened the button on his trousers and slid his bottom to the lip of the chair in a taut, uncomfortable stretch. He knew he was fat and felt he was old. He had wanted for some time now to go to God or whatever was waiting for him and damn the consequences. Think, man, think. What was it they were not saying? In truth, he had no idea and no means of discovering. His vitality had waned and failed him. This pulsed a little whenever he compelled one of the scientists to put something like this together for review. When he did so, his feelings of boredom and inadequacy were leavened for a time by the agreeable illusion of rigor. It was no more than ritual, though. He was captured by the tide. They all were. This hour was his dream time, nothing more. The glass was now empty. The paper on radiation was initialed and had been dropped into the pile at his feet. A door sounded on its hinges, and for a moment the music of the nursery swirled about him. Footsteps. The Prime Minister was reclaimed from his reverie and found that his position was not a strong one. His trousers had slid down to his knees. These were the boxer shorts he'd been told to change two days ago. The wine was gone, both glass and bottle. He'd not looked into any of the important things. She would check for this. She did. There's one thing you have to do for work and that sign a few bits of paper, she told him. For that, you get an hour and a bottle of wine, while I have to manage the baby on my own. On my own! Tears were coming. He wanted very much to laugh. This he must avoid at all costs. If he did that, she would be cruel to him. The Prime Minister feared women, their attention, and their neglect equally. He was a promiscuous man. He had an insatiable need to be the object of the kindness of strangers. They had no reason to give it except at a price. He and Clarissa had reached a stage which was by now familiar to him but new to her. An infinity of resentment raged just below the surface. He resented that she now had interest beyond his comfort, that he didn't. Look, 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 nearly done. He comforted her, stirring the paper on the floor with his feet. You've started at the bottom again, she answered. This was true. The papers in the red box faced out blank because he'd turned them all upside down. The Prime Minister had not progressed beyond for information only. He hated the pretense of decisions. Terrific reading from Mel. Thank you very much, Mel. Let's go straight to the genius room. And uh, as always, because they're geniuses, right? I mean, they know everything. Um, and, and, and uh, sorry, it's soft play. Yeah, LA Thomas, soft play is for kids. I didn't know that. Matt says, soft play, is he a furry? <laughs> 
Furry, yes. I don't think that's right. Um, but Hannah says soft play is a kiddie place. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, with balls and slides and fun stuff. That sounds just up my street. Um, so cashews, cashew milk. Great opener. Wow, says LA Thomas. Pamela Joe Spain is ripping up olive trees to plant cashews because they can grow in drought and get higher prices. Get used to them. Stark opening, says Johnny. Opening packs, packs an emotional punch, says Sarah. Hannah, brutal beginning, but well written. Uh, taught process, says Johnny, drawing me right in. I mean, this is just the beginning. This is the first paragraph. So. Big jump from baby death to Cabernet Sauvignon, says Hannah. Um, Losing it now a little. So we, we got beyond that first page. So losing it now a little to Johnny Matt. Stunning opening line. I wanted to be hooked, but was let off by the second page. And RG says, this seems very told. How he feels is being explained to us rather than us feeling it. I really do not care whether boxes or briefs, says Pamela. I, 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 I don't know about that. I think the detail tells a lot. Lost me now. So there's general general consensus, I think. Sort of, you know, transfixing opening, but... Um, Martin says a lot of bottoms. I didn't notice that, but, but obviously the genius, they know about that. Um, Johnny says, petering out for me now. Uh, bring me back the dead baby, says Glenn. Writers can be so cruel, can't they? Um, Hannah, hoping for a feeling of progress, connection between baby and the protagonist's nursery. Is the story going backwards or forwards? And RG says, this needs a rewrite. Um, hey, K, YouTube likes the writing. Pamela Joe, nice kindness to strangers, uh, but too much too soon. Story is going every which way. It kind of is. He's going every which way, but it's kind of getting me. Oh, I don't know if it's getting you, Lee. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> um, I love the first the first section like everybody else. I was drawn in by that dead baby and yeah. um, and just quite what was happening there. And then I got a little bit, the Prime Minister just didn't ring true for me. Um, who tell, has to tell the Prime Minister to change his boxer shorts? It just didn't quite ring true. Well. The fat <laughs> bottoms I did notice are two bo bottoms on chairs in the first oh, did you? Oh, two oh, oh, okay. in the yeah. first page. So yeah. I agree with that. I've written it down. And then there was this sentence, boredom and inadequacy leavened for a time by the agreeable illusion of rigour. And I think, hmm. That might be a little bit mm. overwritten. So it I think a bit that, literary, isn't it? I think we yeah. were. I think the problem is we can't fathom the intent from that second section. Mm. It's just a little bit. The, the point of view is not tight, and we just really don't know where we. Well, apart from boredom, the, that's the real overriding sensation that I got from that second section. I'm just a little. Yeah, I'm just a little bit confused. Um, I think that I'd like to, to be honest, I'd like to read Thomas's memoir. I to would. be honest, yes, that's the thing actually. I want to read. Um, I, he had me at yes. rugby in Nigeria. Just his, just his memoir was just, just that was just like his, his, his biography was just even more compelling than the blurb. So um, I think, I think he has all of the background to write an absolutely incredible literary thriller. Uh, just, it's just not quite there yet. Um, Thomas, I just need maybe pull out some words and get to the essence of your story. And mm. um, I think, I think, come back, bring it back. I'd like to have another go at it. I okay, think we fantastic. would like to see it again. Fantastic, Annie. Yeah, I think what um, what Lee said there about boredom that that really made me think because I think when you have that as the emotion that your character is feeling, that's what we're going to feel as well. Mm, and dangerous. I don't think that's what you want. 
on the first like couple mm. of pages. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure if I remember from the blurb, I don't think the Prime Minister is the main character. So no. that means that we've started with two separate, like we've got, first we've got the baby, which was, um, I mean, it yeah. was hooky. So like from the get go, you were like, oh, what's what's happening here? But um, I feel like it kind of lost steam. And then we switch yes. over to this other character who's also not the protagonist. So yes. even though the writing itself was good, um, there's this disconnect between um, the like the two sections yeah. I did feel like by the like near the end when we started to get to know the Prime Minister a little bit more, like the whole thing about him um, and his troubles with women, I found that a bit more interesting. <laughs> Looking oh, through I always quite interesting too. Papers. Yes, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> yeah. Do you? I have no idea where it's going, but it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. And Martin, of course, uh, a genius himself, says, "I hope the PM was briefed." Thank you, Martin. That is absolutely tickled my eye or fancy. Um, who's who, James says? Who's the PM this month? I don't know. I've forgotten. It's, it's someone, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, let's let's just get our teeth into this for another moment or two, um, Annie and Lee. So, uh, sorry, Thomas is calling this literary. That, for my money, uh, Thomas can deliver the goods here. I mean, I, I see a lot of good writing going on here. Um, I don't know whether the overall effect is exactly what he wanted, but he's, he's got, you know, a, a good range and power and interesting voice and quite a creative mind going on there, too. So what 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 best advice can we can we give to him to sort of move this thing in, into a slightly more commercial direction which I, I think is where he wants to go um my advice is you know decide on your section and then you know if 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 what you're writing doesn't contribute to character plot or theme then it doesn't need to be there right so you can look at that at there the sentence level, there at the goes. section level, or the chapter level, and then we will yeah. know what the, this scene is about. So the first scene was about the baby, and we got that. We got really? that sense yes. of that clinical, detached, really yeah. very brutal scene. Yeah. And then we got this meandering scene with the Prime Minister. So Which was almost like parody, wasn't it? I think if you think about those, those, what is the intent of the scene, then, then you'll when you know what the intent is, then you'll write the intent. And the writing is very sound. So mm. um, apart from these odd occasional sort of flowery um, s sentences, which you can just delete, you know, you yeah. don't need, necessarily need those. You don't. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always a bit concerned, actually, Thomas, when I say a submission that's called it's literary something, this or that or the other. And usually it's, not in your case, to be honest, but usually it's sort of a sort of little, you know, it's, it's, it's a covering for you know, inadequacies, really, or some sometimes personal foil or eccentricities or whatever but um, I, I think your writing is literary but very often you know when we we see that word on a submission it's sort of short shorthand for we're not going to sell any copies of this so I wouldn't worry too much about literary it's something that you want other people to, to say about your work but you don't necessarily need to describe it yourself like that um, and Hannah says, again, gold from Lee today. Oh, Lee is in fine form today. Um, <laughs> if scene doesn't cont contribute to character, plot or theme, it doesn't need to be there. And Hannah says, thanks, Lee. And I'm going to say thanks, Lee, as well. Um, yeah, and Matt says, does, does literary thrill mean he doesn't want to sell books? Um, 
and Lex says it's true. The only thing that gets less interest from an agent than literary is written by Lex Black. <laughs> and he's doing well. Uh, Christopher. Oh, see, hello. Thank you so much for reading my work. I really appreciate the feedback, says Christopher. I didn't know it was a Christopher C.E. Oh, I think you're winning at the moment, actually. I think you are. Should you have a look? Mm. You are. You absolutely are. It's a very impressive score of 70. But we've got one more submission. And it's called Wolf Hotel. Not the late, great Hilary Mantel, of course. Wolf Hotel. Psychological horrors from Louise. Hello. <laughs> nice to see you there. Very nice to see you. Lou, Louise. I'm going to call you Louise. This is Louise's blurb. Running away from her own secrets, a qualitative researcher takes a job in a remote, cut-off mental health facility in the Welsh mountains, cut off from the world by the elements. She soon finds that Wolf Hotel's owners and their extreme flooding methods... What's extreme flooding methods? It's nothing to do with sort of inundations, is it? I think it's a psychological thing. Are sadistic and deadly. But one of the patients is not who she seems and is determined to bring the company down in this chilling, atmospheric and vivid horror. Oh, that's what we want. I'm already excited. Tell everybody about you, uh, Louise. And since taking out my pen in 2019, Four of my psychological thrillers have been published. And I have self-published a horror novel called Rosie Shadow. Two further novels and two collections of dark poetry and short stories. I have a degree in literature and a postgraduate diploma in psychology. I think that's a good combination. Very good combination to be a writer. I'm currently working on a horror novella and a dark poetry collection while steadily growing my profile on social media. Good idea. My ambition is to be a full-time writer, and many writers' ambitions, actually, (laughs) is going to be fulfilled right now, because it's to be read by Emily. Wolf Hotel by Louise, read by Emily. Prologue. Nancy has been in the clinic for weeks. She knows the staff and the routines, and she knows no one is going to help her in her final moments. It is early morning, and the colours are so bright they are startling. On a violently green lawn, the sun is smouldering. The doctor left Nancy's favourite album, playing rock ballads through the speakers. There is only her, the four walls of the ground floor bedroom, and the wall of a screen projecting one grubby image after another into her tired mind. No one will think to check her vital signs. A horrible certainty. She won't see the sun go down. The knowledge makes her look like some uncarved chunk out of her heart and sucked it out of her body, leaving a wet, gaping hole in the arterial network. Before the treatment began, most of Nancy's fears were ordinary, like running out of money and getting off a bus late at night to walk home along a poorly lit road. Her biggest fear, which brought her to the hospital for treatment in the first place, was losing her daughter. But this is a new kind of fear, all arresting and permanent. It's a visible predator crouching in the dark, sitting beside her on the pillow and living inside her eyelids. Sleep has become a slippery eel for days now, impossible to grasp. Not because Nancy leaves the sidelight on, but because each morning brings renewed dread and reduced tolerance. 
The morning light shines on goosebumps of renewed fear of having her mind pillaged. The doctor knows best. They said her chest pains aren't anything to worry about. Indigestion, most likely. Nancy said the visual imagery scared her, begged for it to stop. Be strong, the doctor said. Desensitise and be cured of OCD. Was it last week, or the week before that she sat outside? Time is no longer defined. She does remember sitting on the bench on the other side of her bedroom window, listening to birdsong, her hands clenched into a fist, when she dared to touch the wooden slats with a bare knuckle, then her palm. The smell of the natural world was beautiful. The doctor congratulated her. Now she gawps through the window, feeling gentle Mother Earth is a long way away, and so is that tender, hopeful moment. She thinks of the doctor as a fly, rubbing its back legs together, crawling over her brain, persistently landing on her cerebral cortex and frontal lobe, taking off to expect its return. Touching, 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 dirty, dirty fly. Not once, but repeatedly, hour after hour, day after day, with no means of moving to carry out her cleansing rituals. She would surely swat the fly dead if her hands weren't tied, stamp it dead with her heel. If there were an alarm, she would have sounded it long ago. The doctor said her vital signs showed less anxiety to exposure to visual imagery. Nancy's heart rate just couldn't go any faster, that's all. She had no water left inside her body to sweat. Indigestion doesn't cause shortness of breath, dizziness or an iron tang in her mouth, but prolonged exposure therapy does. But doctor knows best. Now, delicately poised for death, her eyes wide open, Nancy's lips and skin have a bluish tinge, like the doctor's long kiss of death has left its mark on this young woman. There isn't enough air. The doctor has stolen Nancy's beating heart. Nancy's death is a de facto, a truth. She was right and the doctor was wrong, but she has no breath left to say this. Part 1. Chapter 1. November 2nd, 2020. Wolf Hall, a refuge at the foot of Snowdonia. We are looking for five volunteers to participate in a pilot research project to treat various mental health disorders with multiple treatments, including nature and poetry therapy, one-to-one psychotherapy and medication. You will have a history of mental health disorders. We are particularly interested in hearing from people suffering from phobias, anxiety and depression. In addition to receiving a generous allowance, you will stay at the Wolf Hotel, full board, free, for eight weeks. That's... That's too good to refuse, isn't it? Yeah, eight weeks in the Wolf Hotel. Uh-huh. Let's see what the uh, genii are saying. And um, RG says, too similar to Wolf Hall. I wonder who was going to say that. Um, I don't know about that. I've always done very well with Wolf in the title, to be honest. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Um, Blurb's a little too vague for me, says I. Matt says, Blurb's a bit confusing. Also, qualitative researcher, not a term. I know, I know, that kind of stuck when I read it, actually. Qualitative researcher is not a term for Blurb. Uh, James says, is Wales cut off? Well, they probably want to be, actually. And I wouldn't mind myself also at the moment. Um... Johnny says, yeah, RG is my first thought about power struggles, underhand machinations, Sedna Travelodge. 
Uh, Hannah explains what flooding is. If, uh, for example, she says, if scared of spiders, be put in a room with loads of spiders. That sounds like fun. Until you either recover or die of fright. And James says, I was chased down by a sheep in Wales. <laughs> uh, Pamela thinks it's confusing blurb. Um, blurbs are for readers to tell them what it's about. Um, isn't it a hospital rather than a hotel? I was wondering about that. And uh, Pamela says, like, there's James Charles murder mysteries. Yeah. Um, Hannah, writing good, slightly distancing yes I, I i felt that i want to really feel the fear la says it's really well written johnny says good craft here american spelling says rg really enjoyed reading this says emily our narrator writing was super and felt suitably chilling um and what else got so many good things here from the uh, genius room johnny says this is excellent the title may misdirect agents etc hannah says i'd like to be more inside her head I wonder, I wonder, I think that, yeah, we're talking about prologue there, really, weren't we? Um, which I'm not going to get into at the moment, although I'm very tempted to. Sarah says, not grabbing me. And Pamela Jo, it's chilling. Better than the title and blurb, I think. I wouldn't have picked it up from the blurb, but would read on. And Alex says, Pete, don't forget answers to the quiz. Only those are the correct answers will survive. I've got some bad news about that, but not just yet. I'm going to see what Lee thinks. Oh, goodness me, Louise. <laughs> Uh, I need to look you up and, and um, have a look at some of your work. This is really interesting. I think the blurb was a bit vague for me. I didn't really know what I was going to be hearing. Um, thank you, Emily. Fantastic reading as always. I loved, but but honestly, the, the, the section was wonderfully written. Um, I love that Doctor Knows Best refrain. That was really chilling. Yes. The fly metaphor was wonderful. I just... I thought that was fantastic. I'm actually the um, co-chair of the HWA Wellness Committee, which looks at he mental health in horror writing and oh, wow. um, and and destigmatizing mental illnesses in terms. So this could be interesting. Um, I'd be mm. really interested to read this one. Mm. So yeah, um, just a few POV issues again. I'd like to be closer to that. Uh, closer inside the head of the of the character um nancy can't see herself she can't see her own face so that that straight away put me outside the character and i would like to have seen some dialogue you know the doctor says the doctor says just let the doctor say it hmm. let us hear that um so that getting into that little bit more show not tell as opposed you know that that sense so we actually hear the dialogue from the doctor that mm. will put us in, that will help us a little bit um there louise but really exciting i, I i'd be interested to read more um i would too just, yeah so I, yeah. I just thought um, the basic idea, I think, is, is great, actually, because it's, you know, it's, it's this sort of very, very remote, hard to get away from, impossible to escape from, um, sort of uh, hotel stroke medical research facility. A lot, lot could go wrong there, couldn't it? Yeah. I, I, I definitely read on. And what was that? A Shutter Island, actually. It reminds me a little bit of Shutter Island. Do you remember that? No? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. All right. Annie, what did you yeah. think? I really like the um, the premise. I don't really read a lot of horror, and I don't I don't watch horror movies either because I'm just kind of a scaredy cat. <laughs> Sorry. Why me. don't you do that? See, <laughs> Lee is is chiding. <laughs> Lee, chide her. Tell her tell her why she's wrong. <laughs> I could I could give you a lecture, but I really don't think you want to hear. <laughs> I do. Go on. Tell her off. <laughs> I like I, I like them in theory. It's just me. I just 
can't. <laughs> I think that obviously there's things that you can explore in horror that you can't do in other genres. So, like, from a um, technical point of view, I'd love to be able to, <laughs> to watch and to read them, but it's just not not something that I can do but the premise of this is um, really interesting and um, I, I really like the writing there's I, I know that it's a prologue what I was thinking is that maybe um, if she could find a way to make it a tiny bit shorter because I thought this um, beginning it could almost be like a piece of flash fiction so like yeah, if you were able yeah. to condense it to feel a little bit more um, just with a bit more direction because some yeah. things were a tiny bit confusing um, but then once we get to that um, to the part one where we see the invitation to to the um, place I was I was hooked so yeah. it's um, I would definitely read more of this yeah, uh, Matt says uh, from this description, I guess Wolf Hotel Yelp reviews might not be great. <laughs> they probably won't allow any reviews, actually. And uh, Barbara says, John, did you actually know any scary movies? <laughs> Damn Burgers. What's Damn Burgers? What's that? Is that a film? I'm so out of, t out of touch if that's a film. Uh, and Johnny says, me too, honey. I hate scary movies. Um, Hannah says, girl interrupted, not horror, but mental health. Um, and Pamela says, I just love to hear Lee critique. Uh, you can see how her editor brain works. You can. It's all there. Yeah, it's definitely all there. Okay, so that's... I don't know, actually. No, let me double-check, Annie. Did you vote? You did? Uh, yeah. You, oh, you've gone very big on the, on the title. I know. I'm very I know the titles similar. I know the titles similar to Wolf Hall, but I really yeah. like it. I agree, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stick a wolf on the title, bestseller, instant guaranteed. <laughs> um, I wonder what we're going to do on the numbers now, actually, because we've oh, got a high. So good this week. They were. We got a high score of seventy. How many do you think we're going to get for Louise? Seventy-four. <gasps> oh wow! I didn't expect that. But my word, high-scoring show. Look at that. You've got a 74. Well, I think any other show, actually, uh, CE, you would have uh, comfortably wow. won. But there you are. You've been pipped to the post by Lou, who is actually right there live on YouTube. You can come out from behind the sofa now, Lou. It's all right. Uh, we've uh, we've reviewed your work and found it to be pretty darn good, actually. Final look at the genius room. I it, yeah, it was Shutter Island was was very upsetting. It's probably why I remember it actually. Uh, it's got a certain amount in in, in common with that. Uh, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two did it for me. <laughs> Now you are showing your age now. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Oh, you know what? I mean, I guess we have to uh, to end, but we end on a high note with this. Good. <laughs> I know it's, it is a bit nerve wracking, but congratulations, Louise, you're our show winner. It is nerve wracking. I know that. Yeah. And I've got a few. Uh, End of show notices. I don't always have this, but I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to do this, right? So, 
So bizarrely, strangely, no one got it right. <laughs> Can you believe that? No one got it right. So I'm going to have to tell you the answers I know. <clears throat> um, yeah, well, absolutely, Sarah, thank you. So I'm going to have to tell you the answers, actually. So the first quote was actually Stephen King. No, a, a number of people got that, got that right. It was Stephen King. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have necessarily got that, actually, but it was Stephen King. Alternatively known, of course, as Richard Barkman, John Swithin, or Beryl Evans. I didn't know he had all those pseudonyms. He's a very productive bugger, isn't he? But Beryl Evans, what did he write? What could he have written under the name Beryl Evans? I mean, I don't know. It's a, some weird sort of poetry, I suppose. Uh, the second one was uh, when all quite as sane as we pretend to be. That is actually Robert Block, who tried but failed to challenge Lee Murray for the uh, overall number of <laughs> Bram Stoker Awards. He only got one. She's got four so far. Watch out, King. Um, and the third one was actually Hitchcock, who, of course, filmed Block's book and turned it into the uh, ineffable psycho. Fear isn't so difficult to understand. After all, we weren't we all frightened as children. So Lex has actually defeated the genius the combined effort of the genius room it must be a fairly powerful ai program that that lex is running that's all i can say and i want to just finally give a little notice because so many people like lee we we count the days till you come back so there we are lee's produced that for you it'll it'll tide you over until lee is on the show again next time and I think I would like to say thank you to both our wonderful guests today. It's, isn't it? You know what? It's always a great show when Lee's on. It's always a great show when Annie is on. <laughs> it's twice as good when they're both on together. I've had a good time. <laughs> I hope you've had a good time. I could do it all, all again now, actually, but I'm not going to. But I'm going to invite you, please, to join me same time next week. Hit it! Big boys play.